What do I have? Question we all ask ourselves at times. What do I have that is any good to anyone? What do I have that sets me apart, that makes me someone? What do I have to give? What can I possibly give to God? What do I have that he can use to advance his kingdom and bless his people and to bear fruit for Jesus? What do you have? You have a lot of things. I'm sure many of them unique to you. You have things that nobody else has. Many of them you're not even aware of. Still discovering. Most of us would be amazed at what others see in us. Things that they wish they had or are glad that we share with them that we're not even aware that we have. We spend so much of our time being envious of others or wishing that we were better, that we had what they had. But you have gifts, talents, and natural abilities, many of which are passed along in your DNA. The miraculous code that's embedded literally in every cell of our bodies that can contain information handed down to you from countless generations before you that just decided to make their appearance in you as, as God was forming you into a woman and saying, hey, let's do this, this, and this. And that looks like a good combination. It's, it's pretty amazing, really. Amen. It's gifts that the Creator decided He would release in you and that you can build on and perfect as you live, pursue, and experience life. You have passions that are born of God, God-given inspirations and life experiences. Wisdom born of God, and again, life experiences. Hard lessons learned and scars that remind us. You have a unique personality that sets you apart from all others, an amazing brain that can learn, shape, and even rearrange ideas and concepts, understand mysteries, and even create new ones. The human creature is pretty amazing. You have a unique look and a beauty that's yours and yours alone that can only be released from within. Allowed to shine forth by a bright countenance and a, and a confident smile no matter what imperfections of the flesh you believe you have. Something that can only be brought out from the light within and can't be replicated with makeup, ink, or piercings. It's something that has to come from the inside. A lot of times that outside stuff just distracts us from it. We can laugh, we can cry, we can rage, we can soothe at will if we so choose. You have a tongue that no one controls but you that can encourage, teach, build up, and praise. Hands that can either build up or tear down. Paint, draw, write, play music, defend or heal. Maybe all of those things, depending on what you choose to do or what your gifting allows, again, in ways that are unique to you. And if you're a believer in Christ, a born-again, spirit-filled, scripture-loving child of God, you have a light that shines from your eyes, a hope that is heard in your voice, a love that's felt in your touch, and a power that is yours to command that can make the universe tremble. What do you have to give? Sounds like quite a bit. You have the Holy Spirit, the living God, dwelling in your heart, for one. You have the name of Jesus to release it into the world. And you have the love of the Father, who calls you child and gives you authority of a prince or princess in the kingdom. So don't ever say, I don't have anything to give. What you do have to give is everything that he gave you. And that's everything. You have life, love, healing, and hope to give. What you do have is Jesus. Find Acts chapter 3. Working our way through the book of Acts. 
And at this point, point in our journey through Acts, Jesus has ascended back to heaven. The followers of Jesus have all been filled with the Holy Spirit at the day of Pentecost as they continue to grow, and, and they continue to grow in number as more and more people are hearing about the resurrection of this Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah. And as the previous chapter stated, many signs and wonders accompanied the disciples of Christ as they, as they shared the gospel. And we're about to read about one of those signs and wonders. At this point, the young church is still primarily in Jerusalem, still primarily Jewish, if not entirely Jewish. And they still go to the temple every day for the twice daily designated prayer times that, design, that cor correlate with the daily sacrifices. They no doubt know that the sacrifices are irrelevant now because Jesus has paid the full price, but centuries of tradition are hard to let go of, and this is a struggle that's just getting started for them, and we'll read about more of that as the book of Acts progresses. So it's not surprising that they're still going to the temple for the daily sacrifices to prayer. But what astounds me here is that they still are openly going to the temple, that they're brave enough to do that and that they're even allowed in the door. That's about to change real soon because of episodes like the one we're about to read about. But today they're, they're still good to go. Let's start in verse 1, chapter 3. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing in Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And giving his eyes and fixing his eyes on him with John and Peter. I didn't read that right. Verse four. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praise, praising God. And the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat at the begging alms in the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now as the layman who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, Greatly amazed, when Peter, Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the prince of life whom God raised from the dead, of which we're witnesses. I love the way Peter preaches. Like, you guys, you can kill this person. You know, he just lays it out there. No holds bars. This isn't a seeker-friendly sermon. And in his name, through faith in his name, has made him strong, whom you now see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given them this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Verse 17. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, yeah, you killed the Messiah, but you're just kind of dumb, so he didn't know better. As did also our rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he, would fulfill, he has fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, 
that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before. We'll stop there. So this beggar goes to the house of the Lord expecting a handout. It's what he did day after day just to survive. I mean, what else is there? He's probably thinking, God created me this way. Perhaps my great parents or grandparents committed some great sin that they were punished with me, this lame child. Perhaps the Lord knew that I would be a vile sinner, so they punished me ahead of time. Or he punished me. Surely if I was to be whole, I would have been by now. God would have healed me by now if that was his will. Then these guys come along, look at us. Like, most people avoid looking into my eyes. It makes it harder to ignore my pleas. My pleas for help, and they feel less guilty if they can just ignore me. And even if they do give, they seldom really see me. They don't really look into my eyes. I'm just a dirty beggar, cursed man to be scorned or pitied, depending on your mood. But I don't want pity. I don't need lectures or another self-righteous theory as to why I'm despised and stricken by God. I just need money to buy food and pay for that hole in the wall I live in. Pay the rent. Look at us, they say. Okay, they must really be about to give me some serious coinage here. They want to make sure they're getting a credit, so okay, I'll look at them. What you got for me, buddy? This better be good. You're holding up the line, and I haven't got my lunch money yet. Years ago, I was preaching at the Montana Rescue Mission in Billings. And uh, it was always a blessed and interesting experience. And the chapel was usually full. Had a captive crowd because the rule was you had to go to chapel before you could eat dinner. And so some were not too keen on being there. They're just there because they're hungry. And uh, But for the most part, they were very open and receptive, and they were always respectful and listened to the, the message of the gospel. And after years of doing Bible, at the Bible studies at the jail, at youth detention facilities, and ministering at Hope Center, the buildings on the south side, I was used to the unconventional, to say the least. And I always expected the unexpected to happen. And I was also used to the enemy always trying to disrupt things, at least until I learned how to pray in advance and take authority over the gatherings. The enemy hates it when his territory is invaded. He really hates it. Too bad. But back in those days, whenever I went somewhere to minister, I would take my guitar and I would always start with worship. On this occasion, I had a fellow worship leader with me, Jim Moore, and his guitar, and, and my favorite backup singer, my daughter Callie, who was probably about 16 at the time, somewhere around there. But worship was really good. Everyone was involved and engaged, and good, lively worship always sets the tone and prepares the heart for what the Lord wants to do. And after worship was over, Callie and Jim went and sat in the chapel with the rest of the people, and I commenced to preach. And about halfway through my sermon, I was in the middle of one of my best Hey You Cow stories, Hey You Cow Ranch stories, and this gentleman standing in the back against the wall starts waving his hand and saying, excuse me, excuse me. And like, I could tell by the look on his face that this wasn't going to be good, but I can't ignore him. So I stopped and I said, yes, sir. He says, excuse me, but what does this have to do with being homeless? And okay, moment of decision here. This is make it or break it time for what God's trying to do here. 
how do I answer this? So in that nanosecond, when you're in front of people, just a second seems like an eternity, you know. As I'm, and I'm pondering this, I see Callie sitting in the crowd with a total look of dismay on her face. Knew she was worried about me. And I feel horrible because of that, because I know in that moment she is worried about me. I'm like, I'm okay, but, you know. So I'm thinking, I need to regain control here. Assure Kelly that I am okay, that I'm not rattled. At the same time, give this guy an answer that will satisfy him, not just him, but everybody here. So I can continue the message and allow God to move amongst these hurting people. And of course, there's all of a sudden, there's this horrible thought, is he right? Am I just wasting their time? And before I could come up with an appropriate response, several people in the room turned around and started giving this guy the what for. Saying, we want to hear and, and various forms of, he's given us what we need and to carry up and, and carry on and not give up hope. And the man continued to grumble, so he was warned by, I think it was one of the staff, to shut up or get out. And I, I don't really remember if the guy left or not, but, but I know the enemy did, and order was restored, and everyone t- turned their attention back to me, and one of the ladies sitting in the front row says, come on, we want to hear the story. And people agreed, so I finished the story, and message and told them about the father's love for them how Jesus paid the price and opened the way to him and invited everyone who wanted to receive Jesus as Lord to do so several people prayed the sinner's prayer and afterwards many came up as usual what usually happened there and thanked me for being there and giving them hope and asked me to pray for them now I couldn't fix their homelessness in that instant it wasn't there to give everybody a, everybody gets a new house this is the Oprah Winfrey show. <laughs> you know, I didn't even have a house of my own at that time. We were renting because it's a long story. But, but I was giving what I had. I was giving truth. I was giving hope. I was giving the word of God. I was giving Jesus. I was giving him the good news. And in reality, I was fixing their much larger homelessness issue, which was where were they going to spend eternity? Where is your eternal home? I was inviting them to come live in the Father's house. And that's, that was what I had. That's what was given to me. And I was just offering to share it with others, that hope, that, that eternal home. I have been delivered from addictions, given hope and emotional healing, love, joy, and peace, and I wanted others to have that. And I'm still giving it away. What I have, I give to you. I'm not sure I even had any money in my pocket at that time. I was pretty broke back then. But I didn't care. Jesus always made sure me and my family were taken care of. We had enough. Because we trusted him and didn't seek our own kingdom first, we sought his kingdom. We can only give of what we have, right? We all have so much in Christ. We just need to recognize it. And that's what Peter and John are doing here, sharing what was important in that moment. Sure, my friend, I could give you a coin or two if I had them, but what would it really accomplish? What I can do for you is so much grander, so much more impactful. I can give you back your dignity. I can make you whole. I can ensure that you'll always have a home to look forward to with the Father who loves you. And just to prove it into everyone here, get up and walk. Jesus was working with the apostles just as he promised he would on the day he ascended back to heaven to affirm and confirm his presence and his power to heal and forgive. Now as a lame man who was healed held on to Peter, I 
miss something here. Okay, that's right. Now it was a lame man who was healed, held on to Peter and John, and all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, and greatly amazed. Then Peter saw it, and he responded to his people. So everybody's rushing in to see what's going on here. All of a sudden, this lame man's jumping up and down and shouting, Hallelujah. The men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why, why look so intently at us as though it was by our own power godliness that we made this man walk? Well, that night at the mission, I didn't invite any lame people to walk. I do believe I prayed for several people afterwards to be healed and delivered from various afflictions, addictions, and oppressions, as I always do. I just faithfully gave what I had. Prayed in Jesus' name for all of them, and they laid hands on those specifically who wanted more prayer. And I actually remember a lot of those requests because I was moved with the heart of Jesus and had a love and compassion for those people. And any healings or deliverances that may have come out of that, only they and God know. Because I'm not the one doing it. When I pray for someone and they're healed, it's not me doing it. When you pray for someone and they're healed, it's not you doing it. God is doing it. Nor am I the one who deserves the credit. And that's what Peter and John are doing here. We're not taking the credit for this. Jesus did this. It was in his name. God healed to Christ. Sometimes we get to see the healings, and sometimes we don't. Either way, the results are from Jesus and up to Jesus. We just need to be faithful to pray, to speak, and give in Jesus' name, and the results are up to him. And in his name, through faith in his name, Faith in his name, not faith that they're going to be healed. Oh, if I can just believe enough that you're going to be healed, you'll be healed. No, I believe in Jesus Christ who has the power to heal, and in his name, he can heal you. And he has made this man strong, whom you now see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him, the faith which comes from Christ, and given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yeah. Jesus inspired Peter, hey, go heal this man. Speak healing to him. And it was in his name that the man was healed. Yeah. Peter was seeing the man through Jesus' eyes. He saw a man, a child of God, who needed him. And Peter and John were faithful to stop and speak to him for Jesus. And a miracle happened. Followed by many others, as many rushed to see what was going on and would end up hearing and believing in Christ. And Peter and John were quick to give Jesus all the glory and defer attention away from themselves. Men of Israel, why are you looking at us? We didn't do this. Jesus did this. We're not some kind of holy, super righteous men of faith. We're just fishermen from Galilee. But we follow Jesus. We have faith in him and in his name. So they point out that it's your God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of your fathers, who healed this man through his son, whom you crucified, by the way, but we'll get past that. All they did was speak in faith. And a perfect soundness was given as a result, a soundness of body, soul, and mind. So often we're hesitant to pray for people, any kind of prayer that would require a real move of the Spirit, because we're afraid that our prayer won't work and we'll be seen as unfaithful failures. Or we'll feel like it's somehow totally dependent on our faith or our ability to somehow conjure up 
the miracle power to effect healing, peace, or release in the person being prayed for. And some things, I'm like that too. To tell a person in a wheelchair to stand up, that's, to me, that's pretty intimidating. And I don't know that the Lord has asked me to do that. I'd sure like to see it. But there are other things I don't hesitate to pray for. Different anointings, I guess. If the Lord asks me to pray for something, I do that. That's Forget to be obedient to the Spirit. I've been to several different kids' church camps over the years, both as a counselor and then later as a director when we started doing our own camps at Hope Center. But back in the days when I was a counselor for Faith Chapel, it's kids' camps, they would some point in the week they would do a lesson on the baptism of the Holy Spirit and they would beforehand they would ask for volunteers from the counselors who wants to pray for the kids to receive the baptism. After a year or two I realized nobody's really volunteering here, just a couple of us, so I always volunteer, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. Love to do that. Because I soon realized that except people were hesitant because they think that they have to somehow pray the perfect prayer or somehow muster up the spirit for them. No, it's just you laying your hands on someone and saying, fill them with the Holy Spirit. It's entirely up to the Holy Spirit to do that. It's real simple. The baptism and release of the gifts is entirely up to the Holy Spirit and the openness of the person receiving them. We just do it in Jesus' name. And because children have the childlike faith of children, imagine that, they always receive it along with prayer language. They haven't been convinced yet that it's evil or from the devil or can't happen. <coughs> That's why Jesus said we all had to have faith like children. The point is, we can't be afraid to give of what the Lord has given us. You have so much more than you think you do. And don't be afraid to ask for more. Jesus as well never runs dry. In fact, the best way to get more is to keep giving it away. And this works for everything the Lord gives us. And so this poor beggar is sitting there begging for money and probably saying the same old prayer he's prayed a thousand times. Lord, have mercy on me. Set me free from this miserable existence somehow. Alms, alms for the poor. Well, at least I have a prime location. Got to get it pretty early to get this corner. It's a good thing I have good friends to carry me here. And I wish I wasn't so helpless. I'd like to do something for those guys that get me here every day for their kindness over all the years. A certain man lame from his mother's womb who was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask for alms for those who entered the temple. In case you don't know, alms just means giving money to the poor. Remember the first time I saw that in a sign at church, like, what is alms? Nobody uses that word. Where was I? To ask for alms from those who entered the temple who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple to ask for alms. He's thinking, here comes those Jesus people again. I'm sure this wasn't the first time Peter and John had passed this guy. They said that as was their custom. This guy was there every day. So he sees these guys. Yeah, here they come. Here comes those Jesus guys. Surely these shysters have a lot of money. I mean, there's, there's stories going around that everybody who believes in Jesus sold everything they get, own and they give it to these guys, so they they got to have a pile of money, right? So this, maybe today they're finally going to cop up some money. Look at us. Okay, here it comes. What are you going to give me? The man reaches out his hand to receive. 
But instead of getting silver and gold, he hears, silver and gold have I none. Like, what? Are you kidding me? But what I have, I give to you. Like, there's nothing in your hand, dude. Is this some kind of joke? This beggar was from California. That's the way he talks like that. <laughs> Come on, dude. But he sees Peter's hand extend to him empty, and he hears, rise and walk. Rise and walk, what are you, hey, wait a minute. Without thinking, his hand reaches out, and he grasps Peter's hand and discovers that his hand is anything but empty. What's, what's that feeling? I, I feel a warmth going through my arm and clear down into my toes, a power coming through me. It's, I feel strength. I feel, I feel like standing. I can. I can walk. I could just leap for joy. Hey, I can. So he starts jumping up and down. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And you say Jesus did this? Where do I sign up? <laughs> hey, everyone, God healed me in Jesus' name. So leaping up, he stood and walked and entered the temple. Walking, leaping, and praising God. Caused no small stir, I'm sure. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Thinking, God loves me. God has not forgotten me. He's not forsaken me. And now I know how I can repay my friends. I can give them Jesus too. Maybe enough money for a new computer. No, he didn't have that yet. So this poor beggar <coughs> was now one of the richest people in Jerusalem. And he was going to share his riches with everyone. He had riches of the Spirit. Well, as you can imagine, this did cause no small stir, and Peter and John are now had the full attention of everyone in the temple. And once again, the Holy Spirit has done a work that draws attention to Jesus so the kingdom could be advanced. Just in time to advance the slide. Now as a layman who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. And when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Skipping ahead to the good part of the sermon. Repent and be baptized, therefore. No, that's the earlier sermon. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so, at times, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before. You guys have been hearing about this Jesus. Are you ready to believe yet? Hey, look at this guy. This is the guy that was sitting here and able to walk a few minutes ago. So Lord, I pray that all of us, as individuals in a church, would have the courage to pray and have a faith to pray for miracles and trusting the results to you and that we would never be afraid to give of what you've so freely given us or think that somehow it's not enough. So the Lord heals this man and he's glorified. His people are suddenly keen to hear about this Lord of miracles. But let's look at the core of Peter's message here for a moment. Because it's something that church of today often overlooks. The repentance thing. Back to this healing thing for a minute. I look around the room and I see people who have been healed physically through this ministry or since you've been here by the Lord, not by me. But most people don't know about those things because it happens quietly. If you've been healed physically by the Lord since you've been part of this church family, raise your hand. 
emotionally, spiritually. I think that's even more important. There's a bunch of us. We don't have a big show. We don't have people jumping up out of wheelchairs and throwing their crutches away. It's the Holy Spirit being glorified, just doing things in a way that nobody gets the credit, nobody gets the glory for it but him. Because he loves you and he wants to heal you. Because he wants us to become a huge mega church. Everybody will come here in ambulances. That would be great. But that's not the way we roll. We're just faithful to heed the Lord's spirit. Pray for people as the needs arise. And if you are healed of some, share it with people. Give God the glory. Don't be afraid to talk about it. So this repentance thing Peter's talking about, the core of his message here, something the church likes to ignore these days. Everybody just great and wonderful, and you're all forgiven. Have a great day. See you next week. Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. How often do we moan and complain about how weary we are, how helpless and downtrodden we feel? Lord, why don't I feel the joy of my salvation like I used to? Why did I just say that like I'm a southerner? It's my speech impediment. Why don't I feel inspired to give like Peter and John give? Well, is there repentance involved in your walk with the Lord? Is there something in the way of this happening? Or are you just presuming on grace? Always presuming and never turning away from the things that you need grace for. The simple truth is you're not going to get a lot of feelings of refreshing in the Lord's presence if you're always wallowing in the sin that he died to rescue you from. Amen. Turn from the lust of the flesh and the distractions that bind and blind and turn to the one who can set you free. Look to Jesus and expect something. Expect a miracle. Repentance isn't just turning away from something. It's turning to Jesus. We don't have the strength to just turn away. We need his strength. We need to do it in his name. We need to do it in his power. We need to trust him. Lord, I want to let go of this. Please help me. I'll take your hand. I'll rise and walk. And fixing his eyes on him with John and Peter said, look at us. And he gave them his attention. Turn to us. Turn to Jesus. Expect to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I don't have. What I have I give to you. Jesus can give you what you really need to overcome whatever it is that keeps you from him. But you need to trust him enough to turn to him in honesty, to look into his eyes and say, help me, Lord. I'm tired of fighting this alone, and I need a touch from you. Silver and gold I do not need. I need times of refreshing in your presence. That's what my soul desires. And he says, rise and walk. Jesus doesn't want your gold. He wants your heart. Living in a world of plenty, that's easy to forget. As people, as parents, we lose focus on what is truly valuable when we focus too much on what the world considers treasure. There's an old story about Thomas Aquinas. Aquinas, I don't know how you say his name. 13th century priest, friar, and philosopher. Friar is a Catholic thing. It doesn't mean he cooked chicken. But he, he visits, apparently he's pretty up there in the Catholic Church, and he goes and visits Pope Innocent one day, Pope Innocent II, as the Pope happens to be counting out a large sum of money to somebody. 
And he says, you see, Thomas, says the Pope, the church can no longer say, silver and gold have I none. And Thomas was back, well, true, Holy Father, but neither can she say, rise up and walk. Was the church richer when it had no silver and gold, when it had nothing to offer but Jesus? And nothing to gain with but forever? Are our families richer when we have nothing to offer our kids, but our hearts, our time, and our outstretched arms? Others, I hate to say it, but you're the worst. You love your kids, and you want to give them everything. You want to be the world's greatest mom, and, and you judge yourself in that regard by looking at what you perceive of in other mothers as being, being great moms, being perfect moms, giving their kids everything they need to have a wonderful life. Why can't I be like that? Or maybe you judge by the standard of your own mother who seemed to have it all together and made your childhood special. Here's the secret. Your mom had the same struggles. Those other mothers are having the same struggles. They're not perfect. Those mothers who, whose kids you deem to be so lucky and well-adjusted, they don't have perfect mothers either. They have the perfect mother for them. Your kids have the perfect mother for them. And your kids wouldn't want any other mother but you. And they see in you things that they love and appreciate and admire that you're blind to. But more importantly, more than all the things you could buy them, more than all the programs you could get them to, more than all the crappy things you could invent for them to do and the perfect lessons you could teach them, they just want you. They want your time and attention. They want you loud, messy, disorganized, broke. They don't care. They just want what you have to offer them. The best thing they could possibly receive from a mother. The things that you get from your Father in Heaven. Unconditional love, mercy, grace, wisdom, correction, stories, tenderness, strength. A smile to wipe away the gloom. A tear to share the hurt. A kiss to fix the boo-boos. When they reach out to you in expectation, they don't want money or stuff. They just want your hand reaching back to them. Because like Peter that day at the beautiful gate, your hand is far from empty. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. Rise up.